You're listening to the Writers Off The Page podcast. Here's your host, writer, reader, journalist, and lover of soy latte, Sinead Maripodi. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me on Writers Off The Page, where I sit down with authors to find out the story behind their stories and their top tips for getting published. Hilda Hinton avoided being a writer for many years, but after her critically acclaimed debut novel, The Loudness of Unsaid Things, made a number of bestseller lists, everything changed. Now the stories won't stop and thank God for that because her latest book is called A Solitary Walk on the Moon and it's fantastic. Hilda Hinton, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. Now tell me, what's all this about you avoiding being a writer? Oh, I gave it a gave it a good crack in my 20s, finished a book and literally put it in a drawer and walked away. I guess uh, family took priority for a while. Um, then my sister got sick. Yeah, I just sort of got distracted, really, and uh, came back to it with full gusto. So it was more life getting in the way rather than you having this fight against wanting to be a writer? Oh, it was a bit of both. Um, yeah, I had a, I, I just, yeah, I just shelved it. I think there are a number of reasons. I certainly chose to let life get in the way. Um and at that time, I was a second-hand book dealer. And instead of writing, I sort of burrowed down and read for 15 years instead. <laughs> so what changed for you? At what point did you decide, I'm going to give this a red-hot go? Uh, pretty much a challenge from my brother. Uh, my sister had passed away. My kids had grown up. And, yeah, he were having a game of darts on the back porch and... Um, yeah, basically asked me to justify why, um, what, you know, what, what excuses did I have left? Um, the kids are grown. Uh, Connie didn't need our help anymore. I had time and it was about time I got off my backside. So I just took the challenge, I guess. So was the loudness of unsaid things, was that yeah. the first project then you, that you then dived into or was there anything yeah. in between? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't go backwards. I, I wrote the last section for the new edition for the Love Your Sister book that uh, was due out and that sort of left a bit of a hole after I'd handed that in and, yeah, I decided to fill it instead of avoiding it. So what was the path to publication like? Tell me, everyone always talks about rejections yeah. and it yeah. being quite rough. Well, I guess mine, I guess mine was backwards uh, because I was asked to write the, an extra section for a book by the publisher. Um, I think Vanessa sort of really loved my writing style and I thought I said I sent her a, a one paragraph plot. Um, summary and three chapters um, with my idea and she sent me this lovely email that said I want to publish this and if you want to write something else instead I want to publish that too oh wow so, yeah so I had I had published a backing from a from a previous project um, so I guess I guess I didn't have to cold call per se because they called me um, separately so yeah that's how that's how it happened for me is there any pressure when it's that way around and you've already got the interest before you start? Is there any pressure on you to then, I guess, that fear of being able to deliver what they're expecting? Yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't a done deal. So just because I had Vanessa on side didn't mean I had Hachette on side. And it wasn't, and she made that very clear that she'd have to pitch it um, to them at a meeting. And I remember standing on a street corner. I was actually visiting friends in Sydney and she rang me and she said, okay, I'm going into the meeting. I'll call you back and let you know whether we're a go. 
Um, so I just paced the street uh, for a while. Waiting <laughs> I don't for know if call. you'd want to know someone was going to the meeting and having that, yeah. that wait, looking at your watch going, oh, I wonder what's going on now. Where are they at? Yeah, I think she she understands that I like to know what's going on and all the steps. It's it's there's a hell of a process, you know. If you look at paddock to plate for food and you look at it for a book, you know, it's it's quite complex. And I actually quite enjoy knowing all the steps, um, even even if uh, there's sort of fingernail biting, so to speak, uh, along the way, because um, I, I really enjoyed watching how it all works and how many hands it goes through. And yeah, so I mean, I, I sort of found all that bit quite exciting. So what was it like, I guess, from there, the path to publication? What sort of a time frame were you looking at? Oh, there was there was a good, gee, I think it was nearly 12 months. Um, yeah, so it was 12 months from there, which is when you do, uh, so it goes to editing stage, then that comes back, then it goes to proofreading stage, and that comes back. It, just when you think you're done, you're not done. <laughs> um, yeah, and you have little back and forths about Oxford commas and and God knows what. Um, I, I learned a lot in the first editing stage. I, le- I, I mean, it's hard not to take it personally sometimes. Um, so I had to differentiate between um, sort of what was a stylistic choice, what was good editor advice, um, and you've got to really divorce yourself and sort of see that it's not yours. And I, I think the best tip at that stage is read, read your book out loud because you come up with... Um, with problems you don't see when you read it. So I just read it all out loud a few times during all those stages. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was finally finally ready. Yeah. Wow. So let's talk A Solitary Walk on the Moon. I'll get you yeah. to tell everyone first a little bit about the plot and what the story's about. Yeah, well, Evelyn's uh, sort of very flawed and sort of full of foibles. She's a, she's a complicated lady. Um, she likes to stay at an arm's length from people and whenever she gets too close to people, she packs up her life and moves and just doesn't look back. So her current, where we meet her is in her current life where she's got a laundromat in a strip of shops and she can observe the community at an arm's length uh, there very well but still still sort of be involved and watch people. And she follows her customers home to... Uh, just to make sure that if anything ever happens, she knows where they live and how to help. <laughs> she's she's not a stalker, um, and she sort of she befriends a, a nice chap at the paint shop, uh, a forgetful old man, and a sort of not natural, a young unnatural mother, I suppose, who's got some addiction issues and a very curious eight year old boy, and sort of accidentally finds herself in this patchwork family that she's formed. And I guess the tension throughout is whether she's going to pack up and leave um, or finally sort of set down roots. You mentioned the complexity of Evie, Evelyn, and I have to say I've never met such a divisive character. I mean, I had such a soft spot for her, but at the same time I was so frustrated by her. And it just was interesting being so torn by a character which I mean that's real life really when you think about it everyone yeah, has the two yeah. sides and she, she's hard to like but easy to love I think um I, strangely I set out with this book to write a character that um yeah that, that you just didn't like um <laughs> and I ended up growing to love her as as she developed uh, as I think readers do when they uh when they read the book um there are, you're right, there are two sides to everything. 
and she's out there, all of us. She's unashamedly herself. She does her best. Um, and, yeah, she can be a little frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, when you have a character like Evelyn who has such strong characteristics and ways of doing things do you find it hard to separate yourself when you're writing in in her voice yeah rather rather than separating from her what I found is she was just there so the whole time I was writing the book she was always there if I was out to dinner with family and they were talking to me she sort of sat in the middle she just (laughs) never left my head um (laughs) and I started sort of looking at things through her eyes and sort of as well as my own eyes. So I, I sort of, it was like having a split, not split personality, that's a very bad term to use. Um, but there were just two sides of me through the whole process of writing the book and one side of me was her. <laughs> I love um, the comments she makes when when she is dealing with things and she goes to respond to young Ben or, or Dom from the paint shop. And it's a, I said this because you say things like that, that that's what people yeah. That's a good way to respond to something. Yeah, and I love yeah. how she processes every moment and really picks it to pieces to figure out the best way a person should respond or how she should act and what's going on in every little way possible. Yeah, well, she hasn't had great success uh, responding fully as herself. And, you know, she she doesn't, especially with the child around, she tries to do her very best by this young boy because she feels he has enough troubles. And she doesn't want to add to them by by speaking her mind. Um, so so she goes through a process, yeah, a filtering process. Mm. Uh, so what come we we sort of look at what happens in her head and then what comes out of her mouth, and they're very different. And I think I think it's sort of an exaggerated thing of something we do every day. You know, we do this at work, we do it in customer relations, we do it with family members when we're trying to be empathic, when we perhaps um, sort of. Yeah, sort of feel that you'd like to be a bit harder or softer. Yeah, so I think we do it every day. Um, but but it was nice to have it all out on the table through her eyes. Tell me about this way that Evie lives where we, we often hear of people um, running when things get hard, mm. when things aren't going their way. But for Evie, it's instead that when I guess she's the happiest, that's when yeah. this feeling comes that she needs to escape and she needs to get away. Talk talk me through a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you never really quite know whether she can't love or she loves too much, uh, whether she feels too much or doesn't feel at all. Um, And I think those things, even though they're poles apart, are actually quite close. And the closer she gets, the harder she finds it. She she's almost um, it's like she it's like she has a really sour lolly in her mouth. You know, the more the the more intimacy she receives. the harder she finds it and she she doesn't quite close down <laughs> um but yeah it, it just it's distasteful to her because she likes her selfish life she likes to do what she wants when she wants without having to have any regard for anybody else's feelings um and that that changes as this family develops around her and she has to adjust and yeah so um yeah, she just she just finds it all a little bit difficult, really. <laughs> Don't we all sometimes? Yeah. So did you go into writing the novel with any form of plan or did Evie lead the way? Yeah, Evie led the way. There was no there was no plot. Um I I 
decided I wanted to write an unlikable character. I didn't know a lot about her. I decided a laundromat was a really good vessel um, for her to base herself in. Um, I was on the I was on the road in Queensland for a few months uh, in a caravan, doing community events for our family charity, and I just I just found a lot of complex uh, sort of interactions in the in the laundry that they have in caravan parks. You know, there's this real moral dilemma about whose whose turn it is, and <laughs> everyone's trying to be polite. And it was really sitting in those laundromats talking with strangers, um, and I don't know why these laundries were. Uh, sort of a conduit for everybody to just be so open about all their lives. <laughs> um, um, and it reminded me of when I was young and going to laundromats with my little sister. You know, sometimes we'd go down when we didn't have any washing because there was just transient people coming through um, and everybody talked to each other. And so really it just grew out of this, this uh, fascination with um, why people are so open about their lives in a laundromat. Um, and developed from there. So I just sort of drew this imaginary um, sort of village on a bit of butcher paper. Um, I'll stick bits of paper up all around my writing room and write down the characters' names. And as um, the characters develop, I, I make lists of their good sides, their bad sides, their, their foibles. And once the room fills up with this butcher paper, <laughs> um, I'm off and running. <laughs> Seems to work well. Yeah. I um, have to ask, so I'm, when I finish a novel, I really enjoy now reading the acknowledgement pages. And I was particularly interested in a line you wrote about your publisher and her telling you at one point that she didn't think you knew what the book was yet. Yeah. Tell me a bit about that because I'm really intrigued by it. Yeah, well, um, this, this book was complete sort of fiction, whereas my first one was largely sort of based, uh, yeah, it had a large autobiographical bent. Um so I was sending Vanessa chapters. Uh, I sort of just called it Laundro. That was my nickname for the book. And I'd send chapters um, and they were quite random and I could see what she meant. But just when I thought I knew where the book was going and who the characters were and what it was, I, I got this sort of uh, phone call, you know, you don't really know what it is yet, is exactly what she said to me. And, of course, I was mortified because I thought I knew exactly what it was. Um, but it made me take stock, reread, and develop the characters a bit more and be a bit sort of freer um, with everything. And what happened is once I freed up, um, that's when it all started happening on its own. And I realised what she meant uh, and rang her up and said, oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't very happy happy when you said that um I didn't know what it was but now I do here's some more chapters <laughs> it must be a hard thing to hear like you've just said like when you're so close to something and it's I guess it's like when you're just even telling a story day to day to someone and you just all the pieces are in your head and you yeah. just expect everyone else to be across everything it must be hard when someone's not on the same page but I guess that realization that you had going back and revisiting yeah made okay. it into so much more I guess yeah and I guess it highlights how um how intensely personal writing is um it's just all of you on a page and it's hard to share and you don't share until you think it's ready you know you don't press send on the manuscript until you think you know that's about right I'm proud of it um so 
So any any feedback, I mean, I love negative feedback. When I send chapters and I get positive feedback only, you know, I always say, but what what are the lessons on what, you know, I'd rather learn than, than have your piss in my pocket, so to speak. <laughs> um, so it's a catch-22. You sort of get a bit of negative feedback and it's uh, it cuts you. Um, but you get positive feedback and you want to know, well, there must be something in there that I can sort of fix. Um, so, yeah, it's really it's just really highlighted um, how personal it is. And that feeling when you when you send something off, you know, I mean, it takes a village, really. I, you notice that when you read acknowledgements. I love reading the acknowledgements in books. You know, my son, who I dedicated the book to, Sullivan, um, he he read every chapter as it was happening. And that, that sort of feeling when I'd just sit there and wait, um, I'd actually watch him, you know, and if he laughed or got emotional, you know, I'd feel really good. So it's, uh, it's a... <laughs> so as you were going, not after you had done an entire... No, he was like all, literally. No, he was all the way as I was going, you know, and if he didn't get a chapter for a week, he'd, he'd tap his watch and ask me, you know, what my excuses were for not having something to read that week. Um, so I don't know whether other writers have somebody that they bounce off so um, so often or so closely with, but certainly, certainly, I felt he was a really important part of, of yeah of, of this book, as as were the other household members. Yeah, yeah, they they live it with you. <laughs> so once you've done then, if, if people are reading it as you're going chapter by chapter, once you've done that first draft, do you find that? structure wise much needs to change or is the essence of the story usually quite quite solid yeah it's quite solid so I, I I mean everyone has different ways you know I'd love to be one of those writers that sits there for a certain amount of time every day and is disciplined in that way my style is I do my, most of it in my head so I, I can't sit down at the keyboard until I know exactly what that section is going to be uh, and how it's going to play out I'll, I'll do little post-it notes with certain um sort of words or phrases on it um and yeah I play Lego and do jigsaw puzzles as um as I'm doing my right in my head stage um and that's the most important and the most time consuming um I guess the lucky part of doing it my way is I do what I call a vomit draft um I make it readable and then I do a final so once I'm actually sitting down at the keys I'm actually pretty close I don't sort of, I don't have a lot to do once I get that vomit draft out. So can I ask then, is there a typical amount of time that you would spend writing a full draft then in terms of yeah. weeks or months or? Yeah, um, probably a lot less than you think the actual keyboard time for me personally. But a lot of um, Lego time. But a lot of Lego time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I take it pretty leisurely. I, I've i just started, you know, I've sort of started the next book now. Um, I'll have that done in about eight months, um, I'd say, and hand it in, so to speak, and go from there. Um, but the, the characters I've got for my new book came halfway through, halfway through sort of Evelyn's book as Evelyn came to me halfway through loudness. So really there's a there's a long, there's a two-year gestation and an eight-month writing period would be how I'd put it for me. <laughs> it's actually a really, really great way of working when you put it yeah. like that. It sounds really efficient. 
Yeah. Um, do you mind me asking? So you're very close with your brother, who yeah. is the actor yeah. Samuel Johnson, yeah. and he was in a very serious car crash the day after you submitted the manuscript. Is that right? Yeah. So he read it two days before the accident, and I handed it in to Vanessa the day before the accident, and um, I was glad that it was done because I don't know that I would have been able to do anything after after the sort of trauma of nearly losing my best friend. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it was a very difficult time. He was in he was in intensive care. Um, he's just sort of coming out the other side of a of a long brain injury. Um, he's getting his driver's license back. I mean, he's going to make a full recovery, but it's been a been a hell of a ride. And I think um, I think once once he once he was sort of went to the downstairs ward after leaving intensive care, and he was able to talk and take a few steps and stuff like that. Um, him having read the book just before the accident was the last thing he could remember. Um, and he, he just spoke about poor Evelyn and how she just didn't belong in this world and would sort of really, it's a shame that she's been cast off to the moon and sits there with one moon boot, which sounds really, it sounds like really odd language, um, but it was just with his way of, of sort of feeling empathy for this woman who found intimacy so difficult and fitting in with people so difficult. And, of course, that's very much connected with the title of the book. Um, yeah, so that's... Did you already have the title of the book prior to no, those conversations? No, no. I just handed it in um, um, without a title. So um, so it was nice that his little post-accident rambles, so to speak, that the title kind of came from that. And also I really enjoyed how he felt about the character because um, it's kind of how I feel about her too. Um, you know, she's vibrant and funny and bright and sad and, you know, she's just all the things. Um, but just just the fact that she doesn't quite fit in, she's a bit of a misfit. Um, yeah, it was nice nice sort of chatting with him bedside about, about how sad it would be to be that way but also sort of how valuable she is to the people around her regardless and that even though um, bad things have happened to her, she still has a good life. Yeah. <laughs> had you already, so you'd handed the manuscript in, Had was that in its final stage or did you still have edits with Hachette after um, Yeah. Oh, no, that was, yeah, so that was before editing and proofreading. Okay. That, that's, yeah, so you hand in, they sort of accept a manuscript, a working manuscript, I guess, so once they say, okay, we'll accept this manuscript, that's when all the work's done. Um, sometimes they'll send it back and say it's not ready or whatever. But, um, yeah, that was the, all right, we're moving into editing. Yeah. So did any of those conversations with Samuel in hospital afterwards, did he have any suggestions or comments that made you change things later in the edits or was it more well, his chats about yeah. Evelyn? Yeah, not really, because a couple of days, like when he read it a couple of days before the accident, that's when he gave me some feedback. Um, so I already had his notes and they weren't ones that would require changing in the manuscript, just ideas for editing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so so it was kind of a done deal. Um, it was kind of a done deal as far as we were concerned. Um, and then it was just about doing the work once you get uh, edits back and stuff like that. Yeah. It's good fun that stage. I mean, I, I, you sort of go to battle for some of your sentences. Um, some of them, I remember with loudness, there was one, there was one example where 
from a little girl's perspective, she called, you know, those little pencils that you get um, lying around uh, sort of for kids and stuff like that. And I called it a mini half pencil and it came back from the editor and she said, it's either a mini pencil or a half pencil. And I remember thinking, this is from the eyes of a seven-year-old girl and I'm keeping do mini half pencil. Do they even have pencil. a name? Well, no, I've I never really thought that. about them having a name before. It makes sense. When you said yeah. mini half pencil, I mean, oh, of course, a mini yes, a mini half pencil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I just sort of plucked that example out just to show you how, how sort of intimate and intricate the editing stage is because who'd have thought that you'd have to put so much thought into mini half pencil? And that's only three words out of 70,000. So it's quite, um, it's quite the process. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't spoken to anyone before about audiobooks, but I've just mm. gotten into them based on the fact I can't keep up with my to-be-read list for the podcast. Yeah. It's just too much, so I've started oh, yeah. bringing in audiobooks. Like why, not, why not read a book while you're driving, right? Exactly, at the mm. same time. So yours was actually one of the first books that I had listened to, and I was really excited when I heard you narrating it mm. because now I can't imagine Evie's voice in any other way but yours. And yeah. it fits so well because obviously you you wrote her like it makes yeah. sense. Was that a choice of yours to narrate or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah I really wanted to do it. Um, I did loudness too, and previously I'd um, I'd read Brooke Davis's book Lost and Found. Um, so I just I've always loved audio books, and to be able to read your own book, I mean, I don't. Oh gosh, I mean, I think somebody else might have done a better job. I don't know. I'm not a pro. Um, but I, I like it when authors read their own books. I've just listened to Patrick Gale's um, Mother's Boy and he just did such a good job. I, I thought, oh, Christ, I'm going to have to lift my game. <laughs> um, but it's uh, it's a real privilege reading it out loud. And, yeah, it, it, it makes you realise how difficult it is too. Like I have real trouble saying little. Um, so little Evelyn, when we talk about her as a, as a kid, um, I found really quite tricky. So it's not it's not easy, but it's incredibly good fun. How many hours did it take you to record? Uh, I had four four-hour sessions and sort of finished early on most of those. Um, There's a long I, time to be reading aloud and you think even delivering a speech or just reading anything aloud, how many yeah. times you stumble without meaning to. Yeah. Did yeah. given well, you with, the words was did they come out quite easily or did you it, have to came, it came fairly easily for me um, but because I read the book out loud at editing stage uh, I guess that's pretty good practice and when I read it out loud I don't just read it out loud I, I, I sort of get behind it and sort of read it like I'm reading to a child or something like that um, so I guess I'd already had a bit of a an out loud experience before I hopped in the studio. Um, but yeah, anybody who out there who um, doesn't do audio books, give it a go. Give it a go. It's such a great way to read uh, when you've got other things to do. Well, and I, like you said about you reading it as well, the personal touch being that given you wrote the sentences, the different intonations in where you say things, the inflections, mm. it's all authentic to how you wanted it to sound. Yeah, and I just yeah. loved that, that hearing it was exactly how you intended for it to be to be heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I highly recommend it if anyone's out there writing a book uh, and they get the chance to uh, to read it, do it. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we talked about your way of writing, your split between playing Lego while you think of things and then sitting down and actually bashing out the words. Yeah. You're also, you're not writing full time, are you? You're juggling no. work as well? No, I spend a lot of time uh, obviously with our family charity. That's um, sort of fairly time consuming and a labour of love. Like I, I just love doing all that. Um, I'm also a full-time prison officer and writing sort of, I sort of view it as overtime in a way. Um, I tend to get more done if uh, I just sit down when I get home and do a few hours then. I get more done then than I do on days off. Uh, I just think the busier you are, the more you fit in. Um, yeah, so no, I don't write full-time and I think that if I did write full-time, I'd probably do less. Um, yeah, I think it's really important to fit things in when you're busy than to sort of have all this time to do one thing. I definitely hear of people that work better. I know myself, I work much better to a really tight deadline that sends me almost yeah. over the edge with trying oh, to get everything done. Yeah. And if I had ample amount of time, yeah. achieve nothing. Yeah. And it's oh, the standard's also deadline. not as good. Yeah, exactly. No, I absolutely love a deadline um, and being under pressure. Um, yeah, I, I just... You know, you realise when you're busy that there's plenty of time. This sort of busy myth, I call it a busy myth. Um, I think I think there's plenty of time when you really analyse your minutes and how long each minute is. And, you know, I, I just forego things like TV or, um, you know, yeah, I, just, I just don't think we're as busy as we think we are. I just think what happens when we're busy is we get into this rushed mindset like a Tasmanian devil whirling around. And when we're in that mindset, um, you know, it doesn't work as well. My dad had a, some great expressions and one of them was slow down 10%, you'll get 20% more done. Um, so so I think it's about slowing down, not speeding up, and that that makes being busy easier. You're so right. I mean, we all fall into that trap of the minute somebody asks, how are you going? What's up? Oh, I'm so busy. And it just yeah. is an endless cycle. And I know the best thing anyone has ever said to me years and years ago when I was like, oh, I really want to write a book, but I just don't have time. I'm too busy. And an old colleague of mine said to me, mm, Shanae, you're not too busy. It's that it's not a priority of yours. Because if it was a yeah. priority, you would just make the time. You, you fit yeah. things in when they're worth it. And it was such a wake-up call and it's so true, like you said, the minutes that you waste watching TV, scrolling yeah. through social media, there is actually, everyone is busy. There's no question about it, but yeah. there is time if you have a there good look at it. Yeah, there's always time. And, I mean, I often get asked, um, you know, because, I mean, uh, most people would like to write a book or think they've got a book in them. Um, and that stems from the fact that everyone has a story. Um, and you know, when I'm asked about advice on how to go about it, I say, well, it's a bit like having a kid. You're never going to be ready. You can't, you can't wait until, you know, you think you've got this big project and that you're ready to go. You just need to sit down uh, and do it. And there are no shortcuts. You've just got to do the work. And if it's what you want to do, you'll do it. And if you're not doing it, then perhaps you should ask yourself whether you do want to do it at all. Mm. You know, it's really, really quite simple. Yeah, do, do the work and there are no shortcuts. So we talked about initially in the interview your initial reluctance to be a writer. Do you now consider yourself to be a writer? I think, I think so. I certainly, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I obviously after the first novel, I also then did a book called Heroes Next Door 
um, that was used to raise money for Lovely Sister that I co-wrote with my brother. Um, so that, that was a bit of non-fiction. And I think this novel is the one that has convinced me that perhaps I'm a writer because, um, yeah, so, yeah, I think I am. I can say it. I'm a writer now. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned you're working on another book. Yeah. Can you say anything about it or is it all under wraps? Well, I think, I mean, what I thought, what I thought a solitary walk on the moon was going to be didn't turn out to be the way it was. So um, so I don't really know what it's going to end up as, but it's certainly, it's certainly there are going to be two main characters in this one. Um, the last two novels are focused very much uh, sort of on, on one protagonist. And it's just going to be about the vagaries and difficulties of friendship and sort of involve those those. I mean, I, I find it very difficult listening to people who struggle with family relationships. You know, you hear that people haven't spoken to someone for 10 years and often often when they tell you about it, it's a, it all sort of got broken over one tiny thing, mm. you know, and obviously that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, but that's sort of, <laughs> sort of what if, um, what if I'd said sorry or what if I hadn't reacted that way or... You know, just those things, that sort of snowball that we get in our relationships. Um, you know, sort of, I sort of want to focus on that a bit. When I, when I started the Solitary Walk on the Moon, I wanted to have a character who had addiction issues, a character who had a bit of PTSD from, from being an emergency service worker. I wanted to have um, a, a character who wasn't a natural mother because there's this expectation on us um, to feel a certain way. Uh, about motherhood so I sort of had these concepts and sort of weaved them in and I think I think with this book I want to I want to weave the the difficulties of friendships and and how, when you overreact and sometimes you leave too long before you apologize and just those sort of difficulty day-to-day -day difficulties of friendship and I just want to yeah so I've, I've got these two I've got these two women who who meet in a shopping center car park and they just know that they're going to be instant friends and we go on this great ride with them as they develop this friendship because it's like falling in love, isn't it, meeting a new friend? It's so exciting. <laughs> and and sort of just little things starting to go wrong and things you don't mention a month ago sort of pile on top of, of, of the next issue. So although it's not plot-driven, um, it's very much examining uh, friendship. So that's in early draft stage, is it? Uh, I've done eight chapters. Is um, Sullivan reading them again? Uh, he, he, uh, he is actually, yeah. He rang me up two days ago and said, why haven't I had any chapters? Um, yeah, he's only had the first four and, yeah, the others are nearly ready for me to piff over to him. I love that. That is such a gorgeous relationship. Yeah, yeah. He's moved out since uh, since I wrote the last book. So I can't just walk into the lounge room and say, hey, check this out. Um, and I'm really missing those day-to-day -day interactions, um, you know, where we just bounce, yeah, where I just sort of bounce ideas off him. Um, so it's a bit different now. Now it's sort of sending emails and making appointments to have dinner and, yeah, so it's going to, yeah, I'm sort of cutting the apron strings, I guess. <laughs> Does he write as well? Uh, no, but I suspect he'd be good at it. I think anybody who reads a lot and sort of has 
sort of people watches and sort of watches the minutiae and well yeah. I'm, it sounds like he reads like a writer not yeah. like if he's giving you feedback it's not yeah. just your standard sitting back and enjoying yeah a book yeah and he lo- he loves kids books he's uh he's an early childhood educator um so he's got lots of lots of observations to make about kids and yeah so i i, I think at some point he, he's, he's a good artist actually but i think at some point i think at some point he'll turn himself to writing who knows we'll wait and see yeah, I'm interested to watch and see myself. Well, yeah, I think these things run in the family, don't they? I mean, my dad was a writer and my mum was a poet. Um, so who knows? Maybe it runs in the family. Well, we'll watch this space. Yeah. <laughs> Hilda Hinton, thank you so much for your time and for talking us through everything that goes on in your head and Evelyn's. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> and thank you for listening to the Writers Off The Page podcast. Make sure you check out the back catalogue and while you're there, I'd love it if you left a rating or review. It helps other people discover the podcast. If there's an author you want me to chat to or you just want to say hi, hit me up on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter at Shanae Maripodi. That's C-H-E-N-E-E. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.